Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. I like this first verse. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows until she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counseled younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. As someone who is getting more grey hairs every day, I do appreciate that first verse as well, uh, to respect our older men. Uh, and we're going to do that, um, sink our teeth more into this verse. This is part of a journey that we've been on through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, a letter written to a young church about how we should conduct ourselves as a church. This on first reading has some bizarre things to say, uh, like a lot of the passages that we've uh, been working through but has a lot, a real lot to teach us about who we are as a church and how to conduct ourselves. So I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you that uh, you're here with us. You, you call us your children. You're our Father God, and you never let us go. So Lord, I just pray this morning as we sit here and listen to you, that we pray that your spirit will speak to us, that you'll help us to, ha to know how to conduct ourselves as your children particularly uh, in the difficult issues of pastoral care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is tricky as a church to understand what is our role in society when we look around and see there's so much need. To ask the question, who cares? 
Who cares for all these people? On a broader scale is the whole refugee thing. There's lots of nations at war and we see the hurt and the suffering. Uh, locally, we see lots of other people hurting and needing help, whether it's through economic difficulties, whether it's through family breakdowns, just general people need help. And the question is, who cares? What is our role in this as the local church? And how do we help? How do we help people? Uh, how do we stand up for Jesus and, and help them out? Let me give you a few examples of things that have happened to us over the years to just ask the question, how do we help when people turn up asking for help? So uh, a gentleman turns up on a Sunday morning saying, look, I'm from Toowoomba. I've just come down here to see my family. I'm not with my family anymore. Um, <clears throat> my expenses over the weekend have been higher than I thought. I've got no money to get back to Toowoomba to get back to my work on Monday morning. Can you help me out by filling up my car? What would you do? We don't know this guy, he's got a good story. What do you do? So we go down, we fill up his car and say, look mate, you know, just, you know, it's a blessing from God. I hope everything works out. What about when a lady contacts us, uh, a single mum of six children, she says, look, I've just got nothing in the cupboards. Cupboards are bare, I've got six children to feed, I've got to get them to school on Monday, I've got no lunch to give them then. What do you do? A mom, single mum of six kids. Go down shopping with her, buy a hundred bucks worth of groceries. So here you go. Uh, she says all the lovely things. You know, gee, we're, you know, I hope to bring my kids down to your church one day. You're really nice. And uh, we hope that that might be the case. But so look, you know, that's good if that works out. But, you know, God bless you. Hope things get better for you. What, what else can we do? We, we even asked. Or the man, uh, an Indian guy, rocks up to the office midweek. Uh, looks like a model off one of the cigarette packets with the warning signs of the teeth. He's not a pretty guy. Turns up and says, look, I'm working hard here in Australia. I've sent all my money to my family back home in India to hopefully get them back here one day. But this week I've run myself short and I can't pay my rent. My landlord's going to kick me out. Can I have some money to help pay the rent? What do you do? Help him out with his rent and say, look, mate, if there's any way we can help you, we want to share Jesus, we want to hear that, you know, share you more about what we're on about, not just hand out money. And he says, yep, yep, I'll come around again to talk to you more about that when I've got more time. See, it's just need after need after need. We can just roll on with lots of stories like this of people with needs. How do we cater for people like that? How do we look after them? Not to mention people in our own church, people who lose jobs, people are going through difficulties, illnesses, uh, you know, children issues. Uh, how do we help people in our own congregation who are doing it tough as well? In our own church family, how do we help them? This is a dilemma. And it was a dilemma even in Jesus' day, because at the start of Mark, we hear this story, Jesus is starting off his ministry. He goes uh, to the synagogue, he teaches at the synagogue, he comes home, uh, and his mate Simon's mother-in-law is sick. So he heals Simon's mother-in-law on the Sabbath afternoon. Uh, then before you know it, come night time on that Sabbath day, there's a big queue at the door of people who have heard that Jesus is healing people and they want to be healed. So there's hundreds of people lined up at the door for Jesus to heal people through the night. They didn't come earlier. They would have come earlier, except you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. But once the sun goes down, technically it's not the day anymore. So they bring their sick. Can you imagine within a few hours, hundreds of people lining up, what it would be like the next day as the word spread. There's this guy healing people. We all need help. Let's go and check him out. See if he can help help us the next day hundreds of more people turn up but where's Jesus 
Jesus snuck away early. He says, hang on a minute. This is not what I came for. This is not what I'm here for. These, these needy people, the disciples hunt him down and find him. There's all these needy people knocking on our door looking for your help. Why aren't you helping them? He says, that's not what I'm about. Let's go and tell more people about the kingdom. So even for Jesus, he had to draw the line somewhere. It's like, I will help needy people and he healed lots of people. But at some stage he goes, hang on, this is a burden to me. This is a burden to me. It's not what I'm here for. It's not what I'm about. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a guy called Timothy, setting up this church, and he's saying, look, this is a dilemma. And he says, if you don't get this right, this will be a burden for you as a church, a burden that will be too heavy for you, and it'll sink you. It's not what you're about. And this is where he goes on. He goes on this long spiel uh, about widows and the list and things like that but we're just coming off you might remember last week we're coming off a section of watch your life and doctrine closely that's what paul's been telling timothy and to his uh his congregation you believe all this stuff you believe you've got a generous god a compassionate god you believe uh you know you've been blessed through him so how does that affect your life surely in your life you want to be generous and compassionate to others because that's what you've received from god too but how do we apply this without being so burdened that it actually sinks us and we're changed? Or it's not what we're about. The first thing Paul goes on to say is to talk about the family, the church family, the model family. Interesting way to start a discussion on pastoral care, but it'll make sense a lot more later. He says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. First of all, we need to think about what he means by older men as fathers. Uh, we've got to recognise it with our older men. They've got runs on the board. They've got the battle scars of life. They've got the grey hairs of wisdom. Like, you need to listen to what they've got to say. You need to respect what they've got to say. doesn't mean you have to do everything they say, but you have to treat it with respect. It carries weight with who they are in the life of our our family because he's now talking about we're like a family you respect your dad and when he says his words of wisdom do this in the church it's just what makes it so horrific when jesus told the story of the prodigal son uh, when the son walks up to his dad and says dad i don't like living under your house i don't like listening to you full stop just give me my money i'm out here basically gives him the finger and marches off i don't i wish you were dead is what he's saying to his dad in that culture particularly and even today we should be really disturbed at that. Saying that's not what we're like in the church. We're going to respect our older men. We're not going to, to push them off. We're going to treat them uh, with honour. Then he goes on to treat uh, younger men as brothers. Uh, now brothers, they do love to fight. They love to compete. I have a brother. I am a brother. I know what it's all about. But we need to know we're all on the same team as well. That as brothers younger men to older men we're on the same team we want to encourage we want to build them up we want to see them be successful as they can in whatever area of life we want to treat them like that and nurture them as younger brothers if you've got a younger brother hopefully you know what i'm talking about but that's what it's like in the church to encourage build them up uh, to older ladies as mothers i find it interesting paul saying this we did assume paul had a mother uh, you know, there's no abnormal sort of strange birth thing happening for his life but he has a mother uh, but then he says this interesting thing at the end of his letter to the Romans 
He says to them, greet Rufus and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. It's like, I know I have a mother, but she's not my only mother. In this community called the church or the Christian community, there are a number of women that are like mums to me. Uh, and it's a great blessing that's happened. I'm not sure whether you've experienced the mother. What characterises a mother? They're always the first person to put your arm around you when you need a hug. Mothers are always the first person to encourage you when you need building up. Mothers are always the first ones there to tell you to pull your head in when you've said something inappropriate. They're that sort of lovely old lady. I've had a number of older ladies in my life that I'm very blessed to have that be a part of. You go, I'm glad you're around. You are like a mother to me. And that's what we see in the church community, in the church. And he says, uh, treat younger women as sisters and uh, with respect also. Uh, with absolute purity. Now, when I see this, it, it echoes Song of Songs. The end of Song of Songs, there's this really cool bit where uh, the friends, so we have this young lady and her friends are saying, um, you can assume they're male friends, but it's not that clear. The friends are saying, we have this sister, not their real sister, but again, in this family of God, she's our younger sister. We have our sister and they ask the question, what will we do to help her purity? And they come up with a conclusion. If she is a wall, which means she's not going to just let any man in, but she's going to protect herself with dignity. Uh, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. So we're going to honour her for doing the right thing in purity sexually. But if she is a door, they say, you know, she just lets anybody in, any man in. They said, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. Because that's what brothers do. They want the best for her. They want her to protect her purity. So they're going to watch out for her. And I love it when uh, we're just going through this amazing stage in the life of Southside. We've got a whole lot of younger people coming through, lots of marriages. Uh, one yesterday, uh, Alex and Michaela got married yesterday. We didn't mention that this morning. But I also like the dynamics that happen within a church family when you see this in action. So uh, when a young guy called Chris turns up, he's interested in our sister Beck. Uh, not trying to embarrass you guys, but you're sitting in the middle up the back looking at me, so I'll just know. that When Chris turns up, it's actually really helpful that he's actually come to church and he's had an opportunity for us to check out who's this, who's this guy interested in our sister Beck? Is he all right? It's actually helpful for him, helpful for me, that they have to spend five weeks in marriage prep with the minister one-on-one -on -one, uh, to say, look, is this guy, has this got the best interest for our sister Beck? Uh, now, praise God, you guys have been married. You guys are still on your honeymoon, aren't you? been a few weeks now surely um, but it's really good that we can say then with blessing welcome to the family Chris you know you with our, our sister that's really good uh, when a young guy called Alex turned up interested in our sister Michaela uh, I think that completely freaked him out what are all these people doing interested in me they got married yesterday and again we can rejoice they're part of the family now because we know we've got into their lives and they've got into our lives we know them and, and it's great to do as a family. And we see this all happening. Uh, so in a family, we can see there should be respect between the older and the younger, between the males and the females. You see this mutual respect. It's like a family. It's how a family should be operate, ideally. And it's got special dynamics going on with acceptance, where everybody loves each other, where everybody's concerned about each other and want to help each other. And what Paul's saying, this is how it should be in a church. This is quite a unique situation. In this church, we use the word family a lot. Come, 
can be on the verge of becoming a bit cliche-ish. But it's not just a label or a word, it's a description of who we are. We're a family. We love each other, older men, older women, our younger men, our younger women. This is what family looks like. That's why we uh, work together, we play together. We had a working bee just the other day. We got together shoulder to shoulder in the gardens, cleaning windows. We play together, day at the dam. That's what that's all about. We're hanging out, having a good time, spending time together. Our, uh, we used to call them dinners for eight, where we get eight people together for a dinner. We started calling them family dinners because we like to mix up the generations and you and the old people uh, because we're family, to meet new f- members of our family at church. But I hope this is your experience at Southside, and I think this mostly comes together when we do it best in our growth groups, where we're meeting every week together in those smaller groups. But we know we've got a long way to go as a family. As we grow bigger, that gets harder. Talk about a few of those things in a few moments. But what he's saying, we've got to get this bit right. This is who we are. We're the family of God, family of Jesus Christ. And then he starts talking about the needs and our roles in helping others. Uh, so, and he says there's so much need. And he starts talking about widows and a list, a list of people that uh, need helping out. Uh, it's quite a long spiel. Uh, we can talk about it, in, we'll pull apart in different ways, but the example he's giving for this time, first century Roman Empire, it's the widows are the greatest in need. That's why they're used as an example. We can apply that in many different ways, as we'll see later. But the issue is pastoral care for them uh, because the widows, which, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, is also the same word can be used for the unmarried women. So the context, are they actually somebody who is married and their husband's no longer there or are they just not married? We'll, we'll work through that a little bit as well. But this list also comes around because um, the roots of the Christian church comes from the Jewish culture. And the Jews, they did all their social welfare because the Romans didn't think too much about social welfare. There's no social welfare system. But the Jews, uh, the social welfare was done through the temple. People would come and give their tithes and offerings to the temple and they would then go out and help the poor and the needy around uh, in Jerusalem particularly. But then when the early church come along, they said, hey, this is a good thing to do. And the church took on this role of helping the poor and the needy. And because it's such a great need, they actually did up a list. Who, who do we need to help this week? So that's when it refers to this list. It's a list of people who, are, are, who they're helping. They need to know who they're helping. But then the list was big. Even now, though, there's never been a period of time where this list hasn't been a big list. The needs are always going to outstrip the ability to help people. There's always much greater need. So it can become a burden to the church. And Paul's saying, look, we don't want it to be such a burden that you forget about being a church and start becoming a soup kitchen. Soup kitchens are good, they have their place, but you're a church, you follow Jesus Christ. That's not what you're about. So he's saying providing for the poor and needy is a good thing to do, but you need to manage it or it's going to burden you. And that's not what you're about. So he says in verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. He says you need to give proper recognition and help those widows. That's a good thing. He's not saying don't do pastoral care. You need to do pastoral care. But then we've got to work out who are the widows who are really in need. So he's starting to give us a clue. It's not everybody that's entitled to your help. Then he starts talking about three groups of people. And in this case, yeah, he is talking about the unmarried women, 
Uh, he's not talking about men, particularly because in this culture, it's very, men go out and get a job. There's less jobs for women to do. So the men are the, the protector and provider. Uh, so they should be out getting a job. They're not recognised on this list because they should get off their butts. But the women in this society, there's less jobs for them to do. Uh, and without, if they're not married, they haven't got a protector and provider. So they're in a very vulnerable state. So that's why this example is talking about women. doesn't mean, you know, we don't have any or many widows here. We can put a, a line through this part of the Bible. But we've got to work out what, the, what are the principles that he's talking about here in these categories, uh, in this case, for the widows. The first group of widows is talking about those in your family, your, your relatives, your mother, your grandmother, uh, your in-laws. They're your, your relatives. He goes on in verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... They should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for, for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. What he's saying is there's almost an obligation. You know, they brought you into this world. Uh, they shaped who you are. They made you who you are today. Surely you earn, uh, they've earned the right to be looked after in return, that you pay them back. They've looked after you for so many years. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's also, in a sense, living out the fifth commandment. You know, the Ten Commandments, number five, honour your father and mother. Well, this is what it looks like. It's not just speaking to them politely, but in old age, how do you honour them? You look after them. You look after them. So in a practical sense, he goes on to say in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worth, worse than an un unbeliever. He says it's impossible to imagine. Can you imagine somebody rocking up at church saying, I believe in Jesus, I'm participating uh, in the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice, I'm a part of Jesus' family, I follow Jesus. But to then go home and ignore or push away, try to pretend they're not there, his parents who are in poverty. He says that's just unbelievable. In fact, do they get Jesus at all if they've got that sort of attitude? He says, this is what it means to be a believer, is that you put your beliefs into practice, your life and doctrine in, at work. So he says, these widows should not be on the list, not because they're not needy, but they should be on your list. You should be looking after them. They're your responsibility, because this is what you should do as children. That's what he says in verse 16. If any woman who, has, who is a believer has a widow in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need saying it's the first category of people if they're your relatives you look after them if you're a believer that's particularly important now in a culture today where we are yeah it's part of our done thing when our parents get elderly we pack them up send them up to an aged care home that's quite acceptable thing to do and often the right thing to do we need to feel the weight of what he's saying here what that means for us in a culture today yeah, you know, I'm really encouraged. Uh, there's a number of reasons why our culture is flipping back to this sort of attitude. It's often driven by uh, economic reasons, uh, where you know, pool funds, buy a bigger house, get a granny flat, and look after uh, our elderly with us. So, but it's a great thing. To, it's a biblical thing to do that we should be doing that. But how do we do that today? Uh, is something we need to wrestle with. That's the first group of people. Are those in your family the second group of people are those in need who are in the church family they're in the family our family where he goes on in verse 5 the widows 
The widow, who is really in need and left alone, puts her, tr- puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray, to ask God for help. But the widow who lives in, in pleasure is dead even while she lives. So what he's talking about these widows who are really in need. They really need your help. They're really trusting in God to stay alive. As opposed to the other people who are living for themselves, they're not trusting God. He says they're already dead. They're already dead. But these widows are trusting God to stay alive. And these women who really need your help. And these women are our responsibility. Saying it right up front. These women should be on the list that we care for. He goes on in verse 9 to show us what they look like. No no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up her children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. What he's describing is somebody who is a key part of your church family, isn't it? They're faithful to their husband, faithful to their kids. They're faithful to serving in the church and to those people in need particularly, to the saints. They're faithful in all those things. They're really active in doing it. And now that woman is hurting. And when somebody in the church family, somebody in the body hurts, the whole body hurts. She says, that's not good enough. We need to help this woman. We, don't, we want to see her restored. Not just to talk about her, oh, I know she's doing it tough. Not just saying, I'll pray for you and we pray for her. That's a good thing to do. But to put those uh, thoughts and comments, our beliefs into action and, and actually do something and help them. Help those in needs. Because she's family. She's like our mother. And remember, he's just talked about it. You wouldn't do it to your mother, but now this is the church family. You wouldn't do it to your mother in a church family either. She could be our sister. We need to look after her because that's what families do. We're family. Now you can see why he spent so much time talking about this, what a family is. So this is family. They love each other. They look out for each other. Then there's this third group of people. Uh, he calls them young widows. Uh, could easily mean the young unmarried uh, women. But it's a description of those outside of the family is what he's describing Now, we need to say Paul's generalising when he talks about women uh, and their urges and stuff like that. Don't think that, hey, Paul's got it out for women again because he said virtually the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talking about the men. So he's talking about young people, but in a sense all people when he's talking about things like that. In this case, it's the young women that is identified as an issue. So verse 11, he goes on. uh, As for young widows, do not put them on such a list... It's not particularly because of their age, but because of their attitude, as we'll see. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, or it might read, uh, when their desires draw them away from Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. It's not getting married is the problem, we should say straight off the bat, because he's going to tell them maybe it's a good thing for them to do to get married. But being married is such a priority for them that it's overtaken their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's happened. The marriage is number one. I'm going to be complete. If I can just get a man, if I can get a husband, that's going to fix all my problems. I'm going to feel complete. It's going to make me happy. I'm going to be satisfied forever. So I need a man. And marriage becomes such a big issue, they've forgotten about Jesus. 
Tim Keller, one of the Christian writers, says this is one of the biggest idols of today. That we've made loneliness such a big issue that everybody doesn't want to be lonely and how to address the loneliness issue is to get a companion. So we're so desperate to find a companion that it doesn't matter if, uh, who he is, I just want to be complete because I've got, got another part to, com- to complete me. And when you're in that sort of situation, it's very easy to then say, well, you know, as long as he's a good man, as long as he's got a finger we can put a ring on, it's good enough. We stop asking the question, is he a Christian man or is he a Christian woman? Are they going to help me in my faith? They're going to help me grow. That seems to slide down their radar. The, the, the faith question slides down the radar, but the biggest question is, can I find a partner? They're the sort of people he's talking about. And it's not just 2,000 years ago. It's today, isn't it? That loneliness is such an issue. We're so craving for companionship. that they, We're chasing that instead of chasing Christ. Chasing fulfilment in somebody else rather than fulfilment in Christ and contentment in Christ and working to his plan. He says, this is a problem. And when you look at this in contrast to the women he's just been talking about, faithful to husbands, faithful to family, faithful to God, these women aren't faithful to those things. They're chasing, chasing other things. He says, that's a problem. He says, that's one problem. Uh, and let me remind you, it's a problem for not just young people, it's for all of us in that situation. Uh, but secondly, he says, there's a second problem with these women as well. Verse 13. Besides, they get in the, into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. These women, uh, oh, sorry. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies saying things they ought not to. So these women, they're not helping themselves, are they? Sounds like the older woman uh, who's setting up as the example. She's helping others as much as she can. She's, she's trying to serve others. Where these women are just self-serving, they're just being idle. They're not trying to provide for themselves, get themselves out of the situation at all. They're just living the life of luxury. In a sense, what he's saying is if, if you help these women with handouts, all you're doing is enabling them to live the lifestyle they're leading. And that is not helpful. It's not helpful because he goes on to say that that's a real salvation issue. Uh, he goes on to verse 14. So I counsel younger widows, and I want you to notice this is Paul, Paul's advice. This is a world according to Paul. It's not a command. I counsel younger widows to marry, uh, to have children, to, mar- uh, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So there's some real salvation issues going on in the lives of these women. They're not in the family, they're out of the family. And that's a concern. So Paul's giving this advice, and yes, it is advice, because I know he says elsewhere marriage is not for everyone. But maybe if you get your life in order uh, and some structure, that might actually, you'd be more open to the gospel rather than just looking after yourself and chasing after other things. That's why Paul adds that on. But it's a salvation issue. These people aren't looking to help themselves. They aren't interested in following Jesus or pursuing Jesus because they're pursuing their own interests. They're outside the family. And he says they're not the ones that should be on the list. They're not the ones that should be on the list and you'll be helping. They're the ones that will burden you. In fact, these are the kinds of people that continually want to come back and get the assistance, almost with that attitude of, it's my right that somebody else should look after me. You know, I'm in a hard time, so everybody else should provide for me. So let me give you a few examples. Uh, because as I said before, this, this is, he 
He's talking about widows here, but if it was today, he could rattle off a whole bunch of issues. What about the person who's a gambler and blows all his money and can't provide for his family? What about the drunkard? What about uh, the abusive? What about just those people who aren't helping themselves and they're refusing to follow Jesus, they're ignoring Jesus, ticks all the same boxes. So if this was written today, I'm sure he could fill that out with a number of other uh, categories. But we see uh, particularly these people have this, it's their right that you should help them, particularly you, the church, because you're generous and compassionate, you should help me. So the man from Toowoomba that we sent off with our blessings and hope his life got better, uh, sure enough, a month later, he rocks up uh, after church again saying, look, same thing's happened. I need some fuel to get home. Can you give me a tank of fuel? What do you say to him a second time? So look, mate, we're really sorry. We just can't keep doing this. We want to, uh, you know, when you're in, uh, in Brisbane, let us sit down and get to know you more. Let, me, let us share Jesus with you. Let's do all these other things. We can help and we'll try and help you in financially as well. I remember that morning, I'm not sure if anybody else remembers that morning up at the old house a little while ago, he's charged out through morning tea, abusing us, saying we'll be answerable to God for what we've just done. Yeah, okay, just have to take that on the chin. What happens when you talk to your neighbour, your Christian neighbour who goes to another local church here, and he says, I can't believe what just happened to church. Everybody's rallying around. They're bringing bootloads of handouts and food and, and clothing because there's this woman, single mum with six kids who needs our help. So all the church is filling up a house with all this stuff. I said, oh, yeah, I know her. She's been to our church too. Did she tell you she was going to bring her kids to your church? Yeah, she said that. Yeah, she said that to us too. What do you do? The Indian guy who comes up, you know, really desperate, again, a month later, comes back and says, you know, I'm short of rent again. I'm going to get kicked out. Can you help me? So look, how about we spend that time we talked about before and talk about Jesus and what he can do for your life and we might get some order in your life and then we'll talk about how to help. So, so you're not going to help me now. It's like, well, not straight up, no. So he walks away abusing us. It's like you can't win. They're always there, Jesus says. Sometimes you've got to walk away because that's not what we're about. That's a challenge. It was only a couple of weeks ago we had a lady come in here. It do, what I'm saying is it doesn't mean we don't help these people. Oh, you're not on the list. You're not one of our church. You don't follow Jesus. No, we're out. But you've got to weigh that up very carefully. You're not obliged to help them the way I'm reading this. So a couple of weeks ago a lady comes in, needs some help. She had another story. You know, what do you do? Uh, and I think it's quite interesting the way our church dynamics work. It was a real dilemma. So meet somebody in the car park, I need, I need financial help, what do you do? So what does that person do? I'll introduce you to the pastor. He can help you, which is the right thing to do. Uh, you, you can help as many people as you want, but that was okay. So then I talked to her, yes, yeah, she's a woman in need, she needs a meal. I said, look, all I've got is 25 bucks. Here you go, take it, try and get a decent lunch, and I hope that helps. Uh, and gave him some, some advice for later in the week. Now. I don't know what she did with that, uh, you know, strong smell of smoke and all those sort of things. You can't, you know, just, I want to help her. But on the flip side, I also know before I even spoke to her, I knew I only had 25 bucks in my wallet. So if I opened up and I had 500 bucks, I'm not sure what my answer would have been because my charity is, it's that tension, isn't it? I want to help you. I want to be compassionate. But I know, I hope she fixes up her life. I pray that things go well for her. But if she turns up again in another month, what do you do? Those people are always there. 
What do you do? But what Paul's saying is in these three groups of people, if they're your family, you must help them out. You're obliged to. They're on your list. If they're a part of our church family, make it a priority to help them out. They're part of our church family. Put them on your list, our list, that we look after each other. Uh, If they're not a part of the church family, you need to weigh that up wisely. You're not obliged to do that. But try and be generous because Jesus also told the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, somebody who helps other people and he wasn't even a believer in God. So saying, help those in need. But weigh it up. I want to just spend a few moments on what that looks like in the Southside Church, our Southside family. Because um, I think what this passage does is we should have a heart that wants to, to help the world, to, to grieve when the world is grieving and want to help those in need. But it also shows us that we can't save the world. We can't do that on our own. The problem of poverty and help, uh, mixed up lives, is just way too big for us. But people need Jesus. They need Jesus. And we need to help people in the love of Jesus. But it also blows me away. I want to share a couple of stories that things that are happening that we don't often talk about, we don't celebrate. So I love the fact when I hear stories of meals getting cooked for people. You know, somebody saying, I just can't get over, I just said I was sick and all of a sudden I had five meals rock up on my doorstep. It's amazing when those sort of things happen. People go around and uh, do housework or babysitting for other people because they need a hand, they need a lift. And it happens not through structures, not through, um, you know, church office if you like, but people are just getting in and helping other people. A couple of times it's happened over the years that somebody has come up to me and says, Ross, I just want to thank you. We're really doing it tough and the money you sent us has really helped. I'm going, what money <clears throat> What money got sent to you? He says, oh, you know, the money you left in our letterbox in the envelope. And I'm like, I wish that was me because that's such a cool thing to do, but I don't know anything you're talking about. He says, oh, well, you must know who did it then because, you know, somebody's done it. You must know who did it. I honestly don't know who did it. Somebody, presumably from church, heard they were in need, has gone around and helped them out. Didn't want to be thanked, so left it anonymously, and that's fine too. But it's like, isn't God amazing that he's put that generosity on people's hearts to help others out? It's amazing to hear those sort of stories. But we've got a lot to learn about being a family, that we uh, learn to accept each other. Because... It's actually really scary walking into a church when you don't know anybody. There's lots of research done into um, broken homes and then blended families. You know, when a mum and a dad get together, they've got kids of their own, and all of a sudden they want to get together, and all of a sudden the kids have got to come into one family. And how difficult it is, and there's lots of training and counselling of how to get a blended family to work. And we've got to recognise that's what we are. Many of us have come from different backgrounds, different baggage, different stories to tell. And we come together as brothers and sisters. It sounds really cool when I say it from up the front. But in reality, you look around, we're all different. But yet we've got to have that compassion for each other, that understanding, that wanting to help each other like brothers and sisters. And that's hard and we need to work at that. We need to take every opportunity to be generous with our time, our treasures and talents. Uh, that when we see people in hard times, to create that culture of being generous, to help them out, whether it's cash or whether it's time uh, or, or any support we can give. And never underestimate the small things in doing things to encourage people, small things, even just conversations at church, praying for people over morning tea if they've said they've had a hard week. It is so easy to do, but yet so encouraging. 
But we've also got to, uh, for some of us, get over our pride and be prepared to call it when we are struggling. One of our big problems is in our culture is that we're all okay. In fact, if I'm having a hard time, whether that's some reflection that I'm not a Christian or not, being a Christian, yeah, I'm big and I'm happy. But no, actually, I am having a hard time and to let other people know about it. And again, let me reinforce the importance of growth groups in those smaller groups where we can really know each other and know each other well to support each other. There's a few tips on how we can do it better. So on the one hand, I want to say, hey, I hope this has lifted a burden off some of us. How can we save the world? It's not up to us to save the world. But on the other hand, how can we look after our church family well? That's a big challenge. It's a big challenge for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for the honour it is to be a part of your family, something we should never take for granted, that we were on the outside, that we were chasing after other gods, we were looking after ourselves, not wanting to live under your rule. But Lord, we thank you that you reached out to us, like the father in the Good Samaritan story. You come running out to us with open arms to hug us, to cry over us, to welcome us home. Lord, thank you for bringing us into this family. Thank you for the honour it is to be a part of a family. Lord, no matter who we are, the baggage that we bring, whether it's bad experiences from family, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to, to be the family that you want us to be, that model family. We're all love and understanding, that we care for each other. doesn't matter our age, doesn't matter our sex, doesn't matter our nationality but we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to put that into practice. It's not something we believe and what we just say, but it's something we live out every day, that we are that, uh, a church known for caring for each other because you loved us first. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.